0: So today, we are talking about unity and parenting as part of our series, Having Kids Raising Kids. But before, before we dive in, can we just acknowledge moms and dads are really different. Uh, here are just a few examples of how different moms and dads are. There's mom bath time versus dad bath time. How about mom costume versus dad costume? <laughs> Uh, how about mom biking versus dad biking? <laughs> and then, of course, there's mom fun and dad fun. It is absolutely amazing any kids survive dad fun. But thank God they do. It's true that being on the same page as parents is really hard. You've got gender differences, personality, family of origin, culture. All of this that are different when you go into marriage. And then you throw a third person or a fourth and a fifth child into the mix. And it can get really, really hard. But the surefire way, if you want a surefire way to hurt your marriage or hurt your relationship, is to be divided as husband and wife. And there are a lot of things that you can be divided over. Here are just a few when it comes to kids. First, discipline. You might not agree on discipline. One parent is a little firmer. One parent a little looser or sleep issues. Do they have a set bedtime or do you just let them stay up as late as you stay up? Um, Or do they sleep in the bed with you or sleep in their own room? And then what if they start in their room and want to come into your bed? These are all things that parents struggle with and they argue over. If your mom, maybe, maybe one of you is a little bit more culturally traditional and one a little bit less so. And your American and your mom's sides are sort of battled in your marriage over how to parent and raise your kids. So the, the, the issues may vary, but the pattern it creates is predictable every time. First, one parent ends up having to play the bad guy. And let's be honest, usually this is mom. So it starts there. And then the child knows this. We all know, kids are a whole lot smarter than they, they act and look sometimes. Okay? But, but what happens is the child can then play one parent off the other. If they go to the stricter parent and ask them if they get a to know there, they know very well they're going to go to the fun parent and they can probably get a yes from them. And then from there, often the child is even able to convince the, the looser, the fun parent, that the other parent is mistreating them and they're being mean and that they're, they're not loving them enough. And then and here's where it gets even more insidious, is that taps into the, the other parent's views and old personal opinions of their co-parent. And then lastly, resentment starts to build on the side of the the bad guy parent, the stricter parent and resentment starts to build, creating tension between husband and wife. That pattern is played out in households all the time. And it might even be going on in your household right now. So and by the way, this type of conflict, you don't even need kids to have this type of conflict. and I are close to having 25 years behind us and never had kids, we still deal with this as well. In fact, you didn't have to be married. I've seen this in dating relationships, these conflicts of differences that come out. So there is a clear progression that happens with disunity, this clear progression from bad to worse. And, and it speaks a deep truth about disunity in marriage. You see, we get the idea of being on different pages or disunity. We get that all wrong. See, we tend to think of it in terms of the disagreements and the fights. She is so this way. He is so that way. We always disagree about this. I can't tell you how many times Pupu and I have sat with a couple and that's how the conversation starts. And it makes sense because that's most, that's what's on the forefront of our minds. That's what we experience each day in the house. And so it makes sense that that's what we focus on. But when we focus on the individual disagreements and differences and fights, we miss the deep truth. Disunity in marriage isn't a match strike. It's a slow burn. You see, we tend to focus on the differences. She's so controlling. He's so passive. She worries too much. He doesn't worry enough. They spend too much time on their phone. Yeah, as the church (laughs) catches on fire. (laughs) I practice that over and over again. (laughs) See, we tend to focus on the match strikes, but that's not what disunity is. Disunity is a slow burn. So I started this candle yesterday. This is really a picture of what being divided is. It's the slow burn of a candle that's made up of match strike after match strike after match strike. This unity comes from the accumulation of unresolved conflicts, unforgiving hurts, and unmet needs. It's never just about one issue, one difference. And you know the secret? It's not about differences at all. It's about the things that go unsaid, the things that go unresolved, the things that go unforgiveness day after day after day. Things that go unforgiven. That's what disunity is all about. That's where it comes from. The disunity in marriage is not a match strike, it is a slow burn. And there is no story in Scripture that better illustrates this, than, than the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah in the Old Testament. So, Isaac, Isaac, the, the, their marriage, it started off great, but it fell apart, and then it got horrible and destructive. And so, this, this, is, this is no small story, this is no small matter in the Bible. You see, Isaac was one of the patriarchs of Judaism. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These were the three people through whom God gave his covenant promise to the Israelites. So this is no small person in in God's grand story. This is a major player. And disunity, the slow burn of disunity destroyed his marriage. And so that's what we want to talk about today. So you see their story, their love story spans four chapters in the book of Genesis and about 80 years. So clearly we are not going to cover all of it because I'd like to eat lunch sometime. So we're going to hit some of the highlights that, sh- that show how this slow burn can happen in a marriage. So their, their story, their love story begins in Genesis 24 where um, Isaac's father was Abraham. His mother was Sarah, his mother passed away and they were heartbroken. And if you have lost your mother, you know the heartbreak that can cause in you. And and Isaac was getting old enough, he was getting time time to get married. It was time for Abraham to find him a wife. So they they practiced some, some cultural practices they, a lot of times they practiced arranged marriage back then. So they did some of the cultural things and they found an amazing woman. An amazing woman named Rebecca. She was caring and kind, friendly and beautiful. And she was, she was part of the family, but not too close to the family. So she was a great partner, a great perspective for Isaac. So they brought her home and, and the story starts off amazingly through chapter 24 of Genesis. And, and the end of their courtship and arranged marriage, it ends with, with this line. Uh, Isaac prayed. Oh, sorry, I jumped a step there. That was them already getting pregnant. Here we go. <laughs> Isaac brought her into, his, into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. Ah, oh, You can just feel it, man. That's amazing. That's, that's why I love weddings. Because there is so much love at weddings. It is just overflowing with love. And there's so much fun. But we also know marriages don't always stay that way. Because life gets hard and marriage gets hard. The way I like to say it is falling in love is easy but staying in love is hard. Falling in love is easy. For you, so for you dating people out there, falling in love is easy. Staying in love is hard and it takes hard work and it takes perseverance and it takes gentleness and selflessness and it's hard. So this marriage between Isaac and Rebecca started off great And then they hit their first roadblock. They couldn't get pregnant. And and if you've you've struggled with infertility, uh, you, you know And he did what so many of us have done. He prayed. And it actually says, and here's what it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Yeah, go God. It's a great story. They hit their first obstacle that could have torn them apart. It could have stressed them. It certainly stressed people and I. But he prayed, and God answered. But it was a tough pregnancy. It was difficult. And so the story continues. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So I can just imagine this. The babies are like move, moving and fighting all inside. and They're getting into arguments. Hey, it's my turn to press on her bladder so she has to pee every five minutes. You did it, Liz. Okay, you can keep her up all night. I'm to hit the bladder. Okay? And they're just fighting inside her. Uh, two tw- pair of twins. And they were fighting And they like, I could just imagine. That's a tough pregnancy. And, and so she prayed. And God answered. And here's what God said. The Lord said to her, Two nations are, are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Now, most white people don't really understand it. They don't notice how countercultural this prophecy is. But if you're mom, something should sound really off about this. Take another look at that last line. The older will serve the younger. That isn't quite how it works. Okay? See, um, everyone, everyone knows that the firstborn, that's the privileged place. It was for a lot of mom families, and it certainly was for Jewish families. That's the privileged place. Um, So the older doesn't serve the younger. The younger serves the older. So God is saying something completely countercultural here. And here's the interesting thing. And it's actually the first visible crack in their marriage. Rebecca didn't tell Isaac this prophecy. She didn't tell him. She kept it to herself. We don't know why, but she kept it to herself. And we can see this later on in the story because he would have acted completely differently if he knew that this is what God said. And this, this is the beginning of the slow burn. This is the beginning of the slow burn of disunity. And The first step, keeping secrets. That's how it starts. You see, you might you might justify it to yourself by saying that that you know what? you're you're not, you're not lying to them. you're just withholding some information. And we do this a lot. You hide the purchases you make. You don't tell them about that cute new new friend you made online or at work. You don't tell them about your binge drinking, your overeating, your porn. And you hide this from them. And that's the beginning of dividing. It's the beginning of the slow burn is when you start keeping secrets. Well, they had the twins Those fighting twins They had them And Esau was the older one And Jacob the younger one Now, this picture's okay But I kind of like this one better Esau looks like he should be competing In like the Scottish strongman competitions Lifting boulders and things like that So there's Esau and Jacob And here's how the Bible describes them The boys grew up And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We all know this means trouble. This is the part in the movie where it would go to black and white and the ominous music would play. Dun, dun, dun. Because you know it's going to foreshadow something bad. And see, this is the next step in the slow burn. Playing favorites. See, in white American parenting, there's an implicit rule that you should be fair to all your kids. It doesn't always come out that way, but at least there's there's this understanding that you should be like that. But you see, in in a lot of mom parenting, playing favorites is actually part of parenting. The more obedient ones should be used to inspire the less obedient ones. The more obedient ones are a model of how the others should behave. And maybe you grew up in a household like that. And maybe you grew up on the losing end of that comparison. And you know how horrible it feels. You know how demoralizing it is when parents play favorites. And this will kill the unity of a family. And it certainly did with Isaac and Rebecca. So so after a while, there was a famine. They were living in the land of Canaan. That was the promised land. There was a famine. And so they went west, closer to the Mediterranean sea, a little bit better climate, less dryness, more rain, things like that. So they went west and they they traveled. They landed in a a city called Gerar and they, they met with the king there, but Isaac let fear get the better of him. And here's what happened when they met the king. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. How beautiful was this woman? (laughs) He's afraid of getting killed. (laughs) But he was. And he lied. You know, he lied because he was afraid. And when one of God's people lies it is pretty much always a bad thing. Because see, he did it out of fear. He didn't trust God to protect him. He didn't trust, since he left his land, he didn't trust that God was still with him when they went to a foreign land. He didn't trust God. And that's the next progression of the slow burn lying out of fear. You just lie. It's one thing to keep secrets. It's a whole another thing to intentionally lie to your spouse. Or to lie to those around you. For your spouse or about your spouse. And see, every time we lie, it's out of fear. Every time. We're afraid of what people will think of us. We're afraid of facing the consequences of our actions. We're afraid of disappointing our spouse and we lie and lies will destroy a marriage. You can never underestimate the amount of damage you will do to a family and a marriage with lies. Well, they got out of the situation at He confessed, he admitted, and they stayed there for a little while until the famine was over. Then they eventually returned back home. And a bunch of time passes. And at this point, Isaac is old, he's blind, and somewhat feeble. And so he decides, figuring that his time is soon, he decides to formally give Esau, the older brother, the blessing of the firstborn. This was a double portion of inheritance. That's part, that was part of the place of the firstborn. And so he decided it was time to give Esau the blessing of the firstborn. And so, so he, he says, okay, Esau, go on out. Let, let's, let's make some food. Go out and kill something good. Cook it up and let's, let's eat. And I want to give you this blessing. Well, remember that Rebecca loved Isaac more. So she wanted Isaac To get the double portion. She didn't want Esau to. She loved Isaac more. She played the favorites. And started hatching a plan. She started scheming. To deceive. Dad. And steal the inheritance from Esau. And so she concocted the plan. She brought Isaac into it. Explained it. Here's exactly what you do. Here's what you're going to do. Here, 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 here. And he did it. And they tricked dad, old, feeble dad. And Jacob got the birthright. He got the birthright, and he got the blessing of the firstborn. And then when it came out that they had done this, it hit the fan. It was bad. Esau actually wanted to kill Jacob. Rebekah sent him away. Isaac was heartbroken because he was a man of his word. He couldn't go back. He had pledged before God. And so in this, this, this scheming, it destroyed a marriage. It destroyed parents. It destroyed children. And through that sin, Ended up living out God's prophecy. prophecy That the older would serve the younger. Well, the trick was successful. And it destroyed a family. And that's, that's where we have the culmination. Of the slow burn of disunity. And that scheming against.
1: If you let this continue, if you let this
0: continue to burn, you end up in a place where you are actively scheming against the welfare of your spouse and your children. That's the inevitable of this progression. And it will destroy everybody, including you. And we see the pain that happened with Isaac and Rebecca echo across generations. This slow burn of disunity that happened to them and we see the impact of it through generations. So parents, couples, how's your unity? How united are you with one another? Are you on the same page? Are you for each other? Or have you started down the path? The slow burn of disunity. Have you been keeping secrets? Have you been been withholding information from your spouse? Have you been playing favorites with your kids? With your life? Have you been lying? Have you been lying to your spouse? And even worse, have you been scheming against them? Actively planning for their demise. Wherever you are on this slow burn, go to God and confess. In Christ, we have we have forgiveness Restoration and redemption. You do not have to stay where you are. If you are in this process, somewhere in this slow burn, this does not have to be you. This does not have to be your marriage. That's why Christ died on the cross. Because we get ourselves into situations like this. But God hears our prayers. And he restores and he rebuilds relationships. If you're anywhere in the middle of this, you are hurting your spouse. You are hurting your partner. You are hurting your kids. And you're hurting yourself. So we'll have a couple songs after the sermon here. Take some time to confess. Take some time to put out the slow burn of disunity. You see, being united isn't being the same. It isn't even having the same opinions. It's reconciling your differences. It's confessing, it's forgiving, it's receiving forgiveness. It's asking forgiveness. It's seeing your partner as more important than you. That's unity. Unity is not about sameness. Because otherwise, and I would never have had a chance. Because two people could not be more different. If you ever, ever see us side by side, you know that. We are so different. Our race, our culture, our family of origin, our socioeconomic background, our likes, our dislikes, our strengths, our weaknesses. Heck, even the TV shows we grew up watching are deep in the same. And we're the same age. (laughs) We're still amazed how this happens. We could not be more different. 25 years in and we still say, how are we so different? But we are united. Our hearts are for one another. They're not against one another. We share core values. We resolve conflicts. And we say, I'm sorry a lot meet a lot a lot and we're very united. We are one. It hasn't always been easy, but it's possible. So if you're feeling a little disunited, a little broken apart, trust me. This is possible. To have your hearts knitted together, to come to back together. Because we weren't always like this. I wish she could have known us in our first few years of marriage. Well, maybe you wouldn't want to have known us for <laughs> first. She barely wanted to know me in our first couple of years of marriage. <laughs> but our hearts were soft. And we turned to God and let him transform us over years. So it, it, it is possible to take divided hearts. And for God to unite them. And the slow burn doesn't have to be a slow burn. God is a great putter out of fires. And the stuff that burns away our hearts. He can quench those. And restore us and rebuild. You see, God can do one thing to this candle that I can't, and that's build it back up to be whole and new. But God can Join me in prayer. God, thank you that you are the redeemer of souls, the repairer, Of that which is broken. And the restorer of marriages. God, you are good. And you want so much more for for us in this life than we can even imagine. So God, soften our hearts. us an open heart and an open spirit to you, to hear the Holy Spirit, to respond in obedience to you. And God, I pray for those marriages who are in the middle of a slow burn. God, by your power, by your might, put out those fires. It's nothing that we do, only you can do that. Lord, I pray by your power and your might that you put out those fires today. And that even now those husbands, those wives, those kids can feel the difference. And Lord, I pray that you begin that process of rebuilding and restoring. So we thank you, God. We humbly come before you. Because we mess things up so much, but you restore. You sent your son, Jesus Christ to die on the cross to redeem and restore us. So set our hearts on you, set our minds on you, set our marriages on you. And we pray that our strength can come from you and in you and with you. So we thank you, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who saves marriages and restores marriages. And in his name we pray. Amen.